0: Welcome to the Waypoint What's the Point podcast. I'm Danny, one of the pastors here at Waypoint Church, and this is our podcast where we talk about all things going on in the life, and the ministry of our church, and even in the triangle. And I am joined today by two very special people. I am joined by...
1: Pastor Lawrence You
0: And...
2: Hi, I'm Annie Ojo.
0: Annie Ojo, and we are so grateful Annie is going to introduce herself. She is a member of our congregation, and she also serves in a few different places, and her and her husband help out with the youth group, and we're just, yeah, so great, glad to have her and Pastor Lawrence here. And when we start with the first question, this this is going to be a pretty intense uh, podcast. We're going to be talking about just what's going on in America, a little bit about race, and a little bit about how do we be the local church that trusts God when there are issues in our country, there are issues in our local communities, and there are issues in the church, and we're going to be a people who always turn to Christ and say, Jesus, how do we trust you as your people when it comes to identifying the sins of the past and even the blind spots of the present? So today, we're going to talk about that. So to start off, uh, both of you are children of immigrants who came to this country as ethnic minorities, and, um, you know, God brought you guys here, and we're... It's amazing to see, you know, how you, you grew up Lawrence and mostly in Panama City, a little bit of Philadelphia, and uh, Annie, you grew up in Fayetteville, North Carolina, not just about an hour away. So yeah, North Carolina, local person. So tell us about your yourself, your upbringing, and how it involves with just race and being a minority in America.
1: Yeah. yeah, I was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and growing up, um, it was interesting because I was, I always never felt at home and comfortable in my own skin. You know, I was like, was I, never felt comfortable around all Korean people, uh, never felt comfortable amongst all white people, and just was kind of like, what what culture, what world am I a part of? Kind of questioning that almost my whole life. You know, I... Um, Distinctly remember. I can mean, I tell you a million different stories about about this in my life, but I did distinctly uh, just remember one point: just talking to my mom and um, just having her, my mom, tell me over and over again, Lawrence, if you want to succeed in this white world, in this white world, that you have to you have to do better than everybody else. You know, so if if the white kid gets a ninety-five, you have to have a ninety-nine. Otherwise, you have no chance in this world. So I was always taught from the very beginning, a very early age, that. I'm I have to work harder. I have to do more because it's not my world. You know, so I always felt um different, which is difficult for me because I was born in America. I my creed is very rudimentary. Um my culture, my identity is found in America. So I I was it was weird for me, like, is this my home? Do I fit in? So kind of growing up in that always felt Awkward for me. Honestly, it wasn't until I really became a follower of Jesus and started learning about what it meant to be a part of the kingdom of God that I really found my place in this world. You know that I, I started feeling more comfortable um, in my that, that yes, this is not my home. It's okay to feel this way because this is not my home, and it's okay to not feel completely settled in this culture because this is not my home, and I'm I'm made I'm a citizen of another place. But growing up, it, that was kind of my understanding. Of, like this is that uh, just didn't fit in. I felt other.
0: So did you experience oh, racism or like minor <laughs> big picture race? I mean,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I think I experienced it quite, quite a gambit okay. <laughs> from, from small little microaggressions, to larger examples of just racism and hatred. Um, even as a kid, you know, growing up, I got into so many fights as a kid. You guys have, I mean, it's just, it's hilarious to think about how many ching chongs and egg rolls and eye slantings that would come out my way, I would literally get into fights um, just on the bus every day. Like, there was a stretch when I was living in Atlanta that I seriously got into fights. It was just a normal thing I used to, I used to come on beat up um, pretty much every day you know because I was a kid that wouldn 't back down when I got picked on. And so I, I, yeah, I mean, my mom. I remember, I remember numerous nights my mom would just come home crying after she come home from work and see me just completely beat up. And then my sister and I were. That was just kind of like my experience. So I always, always got picked on a lot growing up. Um, even like, you know, what's funny to me though, that growing up when I got treated that way by people who I didn't know, that's fine. There were enemies. There were people I didn't know. It was what always got me was people who I called friends. They're, they're. Underlying racism that they didn't even know about that always got me the most. Does that make sense? You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, there's like the statements that they would say, but they don't realize that they're saying and how hurtful that, that was. You know, I mean, I remember even recently, this is, I don't know if I shouldn't share this story, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I remember I was working at a church, right? And I'm a single guy at a church, and there's this pastor who absolutely adored me. You know, he's like he loved me. Thought I was the coolest thing in the world. Just, just absolutely adored me, right? And here I am, a single guy. Um, and I just remember, like, one day um, after I've been working for a while, another guy, my exact my age, my friend, comes and starts working. And as soon as he starts working for the church, the pastor's like, "Hey, I have a daughter. Do you want to meet my daughter?" And I remember thinking, like, I would never wanted to date his daughter. I never wanted to but like, the idea is immediately is that he never thought of the possibility of me dating his daughter. Because I was other, you know, and numerous. I, I, I fleshed this stuff out so many times in my life growing up because it was always like, "Hey, I met a Korean girl, you should date her," you know. And I met a, oh, hey, I met a Korean person. Do you know him? You know, yeah. like, and so, and people never fleshed. They never vocally would say certain things like, "You cannot date my daughter," or "You can," you know. But those were the things that always got me the most. It was not the blatant racist attacks or the hurtful statements from random strangers. Those got me, those always annoyed me, but that wasn't what got me the most growing up. It was the ones that were from so-called friends or people I knew who these subtle racism issues that always affected me the most growing up. Mm,
0: wow. Yeah, thanks for sharing. I don't even know if we want to hear the the bad ones, the yeah. the where people actually were violent or mean towards you, but yeah, wow. Any? How about you? Uh,
2: yeah, um,
0: Fayetteville, Georgia. I mean Fayetteville, North Carolina. Yeah. Or...
2: So, like, I love what you said, Pastor Lawrence, about feeling like an outsider. Um, I am an immigrant, but I actually immigrated to the U.S. a little bit later. Um, so I've been in North Carolina since I was like eight or ten. So I have a very, like, you know, um, familiar past or memorable past of growing up in America. And I think when I look back, I always felt like an immigrant first, Um, you know, because you're in this new country, you're trying new foods. I mean, my family was very, very poor. Um, But it wasn't until like elementary where I realized I was black. Um, And just I like I remember the day actually, we went to McDonald's and I was about six And we just came to like North Carolina and my brother was like playing on this playpen and um, I was chasing him. And there was a white little girl crying in one of the little like juts, And I went to go like hang out with her. I mean, I'm six and she's like three. And her mother just starts calling me the N-word. And my whole family were like, what? You know, we're like shocked, right? And we're so like so immigrating so like for like fresh we're just like what does that mean you know or like even things like my mom would come home and she's like people keep asking me if i eat leaves and and you know we're like that was when i was like oh, okay this is racism and we went to school and you know pretty much pastor lawrence everything you said like i don't feel like i fit fit in we um we had a scholarship to a private school so we were poor you know i was black, but not like African American. I was an immigrant, but I was an Indian. Um, and so I, I feel like all those identities have been initially hard for me in my youth, but have actually really um, blossomed into this person that I am today. Um, I would like to say I'm a chameleon um, because of that. And um, well, what, let me talk about the things that I well I did want to say this. I feel Like when listening to what you said, Pastor Lawrence, it struck me that you said when you started going to church, you felt like more comfortable and you finally felt that you were like not, you know, um, for this world. And that struck me because I think that out of all the racism I experienced, for me, it's been most hurtful in the church, Um, particularly as I really started to develop my faith. I started to go to more churches that are more biblically sound and for lots of complicated history reasons that we don't need to get on this podcast. Some of the more, some churches that are more biblically sound or like more theology based tend to be primarily white. And so here I am like a scholar and I was just like, whoa, like I am so black and how that dealt with. But today, like I'm so excited to be here at this podcast. Like I love talking about race. I want, I think God has created you so uniquely and I don't think anybody's race is an accident. And I think it's one of the most powerful things you can do here in the American church. I literally work, live and breathe this in med school. I like do research on equity in terms of race in North Carolina um i do a podcast talking about racism yeah so i'm going to shout out that podcast please listen to them i direct and write the episodes um and it's a national podcast as well so it's called the gold foundation and it looks at um, racism and medical education i wish i could say that i created the funding and did all this awesome things for this podcast but i just speak my mind a lot and was asked to be one of the writers and directors of that so that would be really great if you could listen to that i also do a i'm a director um, in a free clinic here in um, Carver, North Carolina, but this free clinic um, is major- majorly made of minority patients, whether that be sexual minority patients um, and pa- refugees and people of color. So this is my jam. Like, I love it. Also, I am married to a Waysian-American. Um, he's Wajian. Japanese What's and a- white, okay. white and Asian. So he's Waysian. And it's, I don't think I can explain to you how much Africans and Asians don't inherently get along. And learning about that and living that and having a Nigerian ceremony with a very white man um, has literally taught me everything I need to know about racial reconciliation. (laughs) Wow, so
0: your marriage is a beautiful picture of just multiple cultures and and just identities coming together. And uh, just a little bit about your path. So just for those out there, so you went to NC State and and then you joined the other side and you're a UNC medical student yes. and you are about to choose your path correct and what yes. did you choose yeah. where you what what type of medicine will you pursue
2: yes so by, by God's grace by the glory of God this is my last semester of my MD MPH program it's been a long five years um, and I will be applying to psych or I am applying to psychiatry okay um, that's my well
0: name. and I've always said that I pray that God would bring Christians into psychiatry because this is just something I've been praying about for a long time. Just someone who worked as a youth pastor and yeah. just saw kids who were struggling and just had some mental health things that knowing that they were beyond just traditional counseling that psychiatry would really help. And even my my own father had some issues with some neuro, neurological stuff and just seeing the need just for Christians to be in all fields of medicine, but particularly that area. So I am thankful that God has called you into that. And I I look forward to seeing what he has for you. But thanks again for sharing about your experience. And I know if we really dig deep, you guys could share the hard stuff. I know Lawrence, you personally, this year, a guy chased you down and started screaming some racial slurs at you in Durham. And Lawrence was gracious enough not to share that story with us. But I remember when it happened and a guy just uh, was screaming racial slurs at him, you know, saying it's your fault for th- these things happening or whatever, and and I'm like, I would never have to my deal days. with that, you know. And 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 many of our, you know, brothers and sisters deal with that on a weekly or even a daily basis. So thanks for sharing. Uh, moving on, this is this is a, this is a question that I actually wrote. You know, Eric Lawrence and I wrote these questions earlier, and any night and we all talk through them. But this is something that's near and dear on my heart. This question. What would you say to the person who thinks that the racial issues in America are blown up by the media and it isn't as bad as people are making it out to be? Like, it's not really that bad. And I mean, one thing is you could just tell them a story, like the guy chasing you, screaming at you just in Durham within the last couple of months when you just for being an Asian American. and you know. But how, how would you answer this? And you guys love Christ and you're gentle in your answers, but you can, it's okay to... <laughs> To, to speak the truth. So. <laughs> speak the
1: truth and love, right? Um, first of all, I would define it be like, not as bad as it used to be. Well, <laughs> not a very high marker there. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's not as bad as it used to be. Yeah. You know, I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, we had we full comparing?
0: segregation yeah. and slavery. And, what do we want to compare it to? And, you
1: know, let's, the question is, are there major issues in America, in the hearts of a lot of Americans, in the hearts of the church? The answer to me, that there's yes. There is. You know, I mean, comparing it to what it used to be is not, not the question, you know, just because, you know, it's not as bad as it might have been, you know, 75 years ago, 200 years ago, okay, but that's not the question, that shouldn't be the issue. The issue is, what are the hearts now, and where, where are we trying to go, and what, do we, what does Christ compel us to, to live like and be like now?
2: Mm, I love that. Um. So, like, if you're asking me that when I'm like writing a paper or in the clinic or dealing with professors, because I get that question all the time, I, you know, that's so easy. It's just give them a ton of facts. Um, but in tr- reality, when it's like a friend or a Christian or just somebody who's like maybe not like more of a lay person. <sighs> the facts don't really work right because that's not really they don't
0: care well you can always do the what abouts right yeah you give a fact and then they'll give a what about yes. on every every issue you can always yeah. find one exception and you can pull that out of your po- exactly. back pocket and be like what about this
2: exactly so I always go with the like every time someone asks this question and I've gotten it so much in this past like year the first question I ask is okay like what do the people in your life look like? Like the people you do life with, um, the people you eat dinner with. And I, you know, truly like 80, eight out of 10 times, you know, that person, that person is talking about someone who looks just like them or like looks like them financially, socially, whatever. And I usually just try to stick to race to make it short. And then if it's the other two times I'm like, no, actually, I'm a part of a church and I do this. And so I'm like, oh, OK. So those two times it's in the ministry, right? Like when you're doing ministry, quote unquote, um, you know, you're hanging out with people who don't look like you. And they're like, exactly. And I'm like, well, why does your life look so different outside the church versus inside the church? And they're like, well, OK, OK. Or, you know, I was like, if you got married today, like you got you renewed your vows, you've found your perfect partner. Who would be at your wedding like standing beside you? And they're like, well, okay. So I'm like, so you're not really doing life with people, you're serving them and you're maybe, you know, the savior complex is something that we could talk about forever. Um, And I don't, you know, so far I've never had a conversation that I was proven wrong, but I think that goes to show the importance of living and doing life with people who don't look like you. You're getting information from the screen um, and having no evidence of your own to back that up.
0: Well, that's really, really good. So I I guess, the starting point is it, it. There are issues, and people of color feel them on a daily basis. And there might be a few issues where someone blew it out of a proportion or whatever. But that's. But in the daily life of many people of color, they're experiencing from microaggressions type things that Lawrence mentioned earlier to full fledged like dark evil <laughs> racist comments or racist like malicious behavior towards someone with the intent of of like isolating them or hurting them so so all of those things could exist in the in the daily life or the weekly life of various you know minorities here in North Carolina and other places so having a friend having someone to talk to you you believe is like the starting point to really to, to 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 feel it and to begin to not feel it in facts, but feel it in like a real person. Yes. Like this person is in your awesome. I, I like yeah. that. Thank you. And I mean, he, I
1: think the realness of that is if I share a story for those who know me at Waypoint Church, they're gonna be like, "Oh, I know Lawrence," and I hear his story. I can hear his heart. Yeah. If any story, I know any. Yeah. Like, the problem is, like you're saying, that's a good self-evaluation. Right. You know, like I love the wedding thing. Yeah. yeah. So who would be in your wedding? You know, and who would, who would be in your circles. And I'm not trying to, this is not to create guilt into people. You know, this is the, that's not the purpose of this. The purpose is look at it, evaluate, it, and do something about it. Exactly, right. So,
0: so we don't live in rural Kansas. If we lived in some parts of the country, it would be hard right. to have like some f- yeah. certain friends from other groups because everybody who lived within 20 miles of our house right. would look one way or talk one way or whatever. But we live in the Triangle. It is very diverse. And so knowing that, what are some ways that you think people could take a step forward in this? Like, would it be like, how how could you not just have the token friend? Uh, this isn't in the notes, so I hope you, I don't <laughs> throw you guys too much a curveball. But some people don't want to have the token friend, but you want to have a genuine friendship. So you have any, any things to speak into that? At Waypoint, it's fairly easy in a sense, because if you join one of our small groups, hopefully... There's a little bit of a diversity, you know, but but even at work or beyond the church, like how how can people begin to how could they invite someone who's maybe not like them to dinner? During COVID, it's a little tough, but post COVID, <laughs> or or
1: just some ideas how to help somebody? How would you want someone so, to approach
0: you at work or? Yeah,
1: no, I think the question you're asking is is very simply: we do the evaluation. You look at your life, you're like, man, I don't. You're right, I don't. I don't see people of different colors or diversity in my friend group. Yeah, I see him at the my grocery circle. store, I see
0: him at work, yeah. but I don't. So
1: what do I do about that? I mean, I don't want to, I do want a varied perspective. I do want to know. I do want to, I want to change. So, but okay, what do I do? You know, do I just, what do I do? And I think part, part of it is, um, and i let Eddie answer after me, but I'm like, I think there's a beautiful thing in intentionality, right? But the uh, it's 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 a, it's difficult well, Covid. I'm, I'm going to take COVID out of the equation if that's yeah. okay for everybody listening I'm just going to take COVID out of the equation right now because you can't really make any friendships during COVID really right. but taking COVID out of the equation I think we have a luxury a beautiful gift living in the triangle there is diversity everywhere and we also have a gift of like where do you choose to go to church we happen to have a church that, at least, is more diverse than the average church. I wish we grew in that area, but we at least it's 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 more diverse. So, what are you choosing to do? What church are you choosing to go to? What what parks are you choosing to play in? What um who are you who are you choosing to be around? And and then from that from that intentionality, what last thing people want is to be a project.
0: I know that's nobody, that's the nobody dilemma. wants to be
1: a project, right? But people want genuine friends.
0: So, is there an okay question to start the relationship with? Like,
1: well, I think there's enough. I think there's enough organic instances where most people should have work or places where you can start. It doesn't have to be an awkward. Like, hey, I don't know you, random stranger. You know, like I think there's enough instances to be like, you know, like, like, like I love I love basketball, or I love whatever it may be. I love golf. I love um, whatever, and we can find commonalities that you can start with. You know, there's enough instances where it's a coworker, or uh, you know, a kid who's on the soccer team.
2: I love that. You know, I I was thinking like, how do I make friends? Um, uh, beyond, like, connecting over a race. Um, well, one, I'm a person who has many friend crushes, so I definitely um, love, like, pursuing friendships. Uh, but I, I love how you said just being normal. Like, I think about how many times someone's come up to me at church and they were like, hey, I, like, I want to be friends with you because we both love Christ. Um, let's hang out. And then, of course, we had conversations about race. But I love how you talked about just putting yourself in situations, particularly with children. I think children, I don't have children, but I can't wait to have kids because I can only think about how many friend crushes I'm I'm going to get, I'm going to be like, oh, our kids go to the same school. Let's hang out. Um, But, you know, I loved... I, I do want to point out one thing too um, you know I think it's so easy to be like you know listen to this podcast or you know like all these horrible things have happened in the last two weeks I'm gonna be friends with black people but there's so much heart change that goes on with there and as a person of color I can tell you like we know who's an ally you know you know who's going to be cool with and so you know there's a sense of like sincerity that you feel as a minority in Lawrence please like comment on that um, And so, this isn't going to happen next week, or maybe not even next year. Um, It's a heart change as well.
1: And there's reality, like like, just to be honest with you, like as as minority groups, I know Asian Americans want to be around all Asian American people. That's a common that's a common experience, and the reason is because it's just reality. Is that like there's a shared experience, a shared understanding, a shared I don't know what the word for it. You know, like this idea of like it's easier. You know, it's
2: also, it's also safer. Safer, it's yeah. Because um, you know, I think easier and safer are so different. You know. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, that's a great term. It's safer. You know, like you're not gonna be made fun of. Like I remember growing up. I remember as a kid, my mom didn't know what to pack for lunch, and so she packed me like, like Korean kimbap, and I got made so much fun of for school. So then I said, Ma- mom, you have to make me a sandwich." My mom didn't know how to make a sandwich. You know, so they my didn't dad have t- YouTube
0: back then. Huh? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so she like, what's an American sandwich? So she took me. My dad took me to the gas station and said, "Go buy a hot dog." And I took that as my lunch. You know, in a brown bag. Wow. <laughs> like, I got be funny for that. Yeah. So I was like, okay, no more lunch in being made. You know, but there's a safety, safety that like amongst other Korean kids, if I brought my Kimi Pop, they'd been like, yeah, what's, well, that looks good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying?
0: Now so, it's popular, and all the kids would yeah. love it <laughs> <But> that- <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, wow. so one follow-up question, Any, and Ian, this this is a little more for you than Lawrence, is just right now, like, let's say, I mean, my neighborhood has a lot of African-Americans who live, you know, literally across the street from me. If I engage with them and I invite them over, is it okay to say, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Like, do I just keep it superficial? Or is it, like, how do you bridge the, you, you, you know, like, they know I'm a pastor, I'm, college educated they're college educated so it's not like we're on the same page but America's been I mean it's it's been rough like do I just shoot the breeze or do I ask like I don't I don't know like is it depends person to person I I just I wouldn't I wouldn't know like I want to
2: I love that question um I do um I'm trying to think how should I answer it
0: like what would you want someone to do with you like so
2: yes so sometimes people ask me like how do i talk to like this person of color and i have these steps that i give them if they're christian and so i'll just do the steps really quickly but and then we can answer your question so i think first is acknowledge listen 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 and then listen some more read reflect read and read the word is one of the both reads and then respond um And so first, like, I loved how you said, like, should I just say it? I think it's so powerful to acknowledge things. Um, And I think even if you don't want to talk about it, that matters. I mean, there have been times, even like in the last year, where I didn't want to go to Bible study because I felt like something that happened in the news wouldn't be acknowledged. And it's incredibly painful. And I will tell you, even if if you acknowledge something and they don't wanna talk about it, they'll know like, okay, Pastor Danny, like he brought up that thing that happened. He said her name, he said Brianna's name. I know that I can talk to him about this when I'm ready. Um, Acknowledgement is also so good for everybody. Like I think when you acknowledge it, you put it to your forefront, you bring it to God if you're acknowledging him in prayer and it allows for true healing listen, 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 and listen. I think this is the hardest part and the part that people struggle with the most is just listening. And I think when you're hearing from somebody else who has a totally different experience, whatever they're saying, it can be hard to process. It can be hard to like even truly understand. So I think it's so great to like even set a goal of like, no matter what they say, I'm just gonna listen for this whole session and ask questions. Um, And then, and then after you've listened a bunch of times, I think it's so important to read the word um, and reflect and then read more and you don't have to read the word. And I think when I think about things that people have said that's been so offensive is because they responded out of emotion. Like they didn't, they're like, well, this is what grace means. And then you're like, well, what does grace mean biblically? And they're like, well, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, well, why did you tell me that this is what grace means? So why don't you just take what you feel and reflect and then respond? Um, I think that's really helpful. In your situation, Again, I think you should just say it and let them lead the conversation and follow up. So if happening.
0: they're like, "Thanks for bringing it up," but I don't, it's you don't have to bring it up. I'm fine. Then we go with that. Or if they say, "Yeah, I'd love to talk to you more about it, but not tonight," but let's yeah. just eat dinner tonight. So, but acknowledging it is not a bad thing. I, 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 I just think not I think, acknowledging it. Okay, worse. yeah, not acknowledging it could be worse. Okay, that's that's good to hear because I feel like it's it's just one of those things. And and for Asian Americans, I mean, even that like. When, in my, just to give my experience, there was a girl named Sun Jae. Her dad was a Taekwondo teacher. She sat next to me in seventh grade, and every kid at my school treated her like she was white. Like, I don't even... Like, her name was Sun Jae. She was purely Korean. I mean, she didn't have an accent or anything. But for some reason at my school, like, we all, like, almost, like, ignored the fact that she was different so so even with asian american friends like you you don't want to be offensive i don't know so is yeah, there no, is there a way difficult. to approach someone at work or love so somebody the difficult
1: thing is oftentimes in the asian american community there was a almost like a created identity thing where it's like just pretend to be white you know that's how you get mm-hmm. ahead in america is just be white you know and that's i mean honestly that's kind of the the reality of kind of like I don't know, I don't know how to say it, but there was like this idea of like, just pretend to be white and you'll get successful, and that's what, all that matters is success. You know, it doesn't matter that, keep your culture at home, but just pretend to be white. And so there's an issue, I think there's, in the Asian American community, there's a combination of almost a, str- a struggle with that. You know, do we do we just pretend to be white? Do we be, be Korean? Korean? Do, we, do we, are we all no identity? What, what are we, hey. you know? And so that's the, like once again that's the struggle that I had my whole life. So how would
0: you suggest? Like you, you have a friend. Yeah. In the and neighborhood, honestly, you want I wanna- don't think
1: it's the same answer for everybody, anyway. Right. But for, for for what I would express is that here's the beautiful thing: when you can do it in safe places. Okay. You know? So, for example, like, if you, if you have a neighborhood neighbor who like, who you're reaching out to and saying, inviting you to lunch, you're the kids are playing sports together. That starts becoming a safer place. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously you don't want to walk up to a complete stranger and be like, so tell me how you feel about this instance, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. But once you start, and if you do it in the church, even more so, it starts becoming even more safer space so that if you start acknowledging, you start talking, you start, maybe you make a mistake. Maybe, and I think that's the problem is I think there's a lot of people who are scared to make mistakes. And I get that, you don't wanna hurt anybody, you don't wanna come across as insensitive or racist or anything. And so you're scared, you're kinda of walking on eggshells like, what do I do, you know? And I think there's a beauty of authenticity and and, uh, and realness that comes from just acknowledging, like you were saying, just acknowledge, I don't know, and I'd love to attempt to build a relationship with you, okay. a sincere one.
0: Thanks. Well, oh, this is really good. I'm. Just processing a lot. Thanks, y'all. Um, so, what are some ways that we as the church and we as Christians should move forward towards shaping policies? We're only going to answer one question because we're going to really bring it into the triangle. But there are there's a lot of national stuff, and any it seems like you're a little bit interested in engaging beyond just the small scale. It seems like with your career and stuff, and Lawrence, I. I you know, you've engaged a little bit nationally. You like to keep it local and keep keep it in your local congregation. But w- are there any things that God's laid upon your heart or ways that we could move forward and think about shaping policy? Like, or, yeah.
2: So I love this question because my, my dream job is to be like the psychiatrist of the state. So I would be writing mental health policy and um, evaluating it as well um and i think for me i loved how in the earlier the podcast you talked about um christians not being present in psychiatry and there are even less christians present in mental health policy so for me it looks like being present um being at that table not only as a you know person of color as an immigrant but also as a christian um and i really do wish that there were more christians involved in policy. I wish I had so many more members in that. I wish there were more Christians at the free clinics that I'm working at. Um, yeah. I just feel like we're the least of these, the Christians aren't so there. Just so just get I out there and there. Yeah.
0: be in the positions be where present. you can shape policy. Yeah. And we'll train you as pastors. We'll equip you. We'll give you what you need. We'll, we'll encourage you in it because it could be yeah. hard, right? It could be yeah. hard to, it's it's like you're giving your your life. It's like a calling. So if as people feel called to that, we you're saying, Encouraging people to to pray about it and ask God if that's something you might be called to do, and and yeah. don't just settle for a enter into the heart some of these hard places because policy is hard because there's yeah. disagreements, there's you know change of power of governments you know you have a Republican governor a Democrat governor they clean house or whatever yeah. so so getting into policy you know that your career is it's it's right. not as smooth as as some paths yeah but you're saying yeah. Christians should be, if if yeah. they they can enter. Not. I love so, that.
2: And I, I know not everybody at Waypoint can like be a policymaker, but I think everyone can vote. And um, I think that's something I've noticed among my Christian communities. Is like, oh, well, this is the first time I voted, and they're you know they're 40, and that's again not to make you feel guilty or shameful, but I do think that. We do have a say in things, and I think it's really important to vote wisely. And this doesn't mean to associate with a party or another, but to read what you vote for, to read about the platforms that you are. I think that's great, and I think we should do things well, and I think Christians should vote well um, and not ignore it.
1: I think when it comes to, and I completely agree with that, I think when it comes to voting, I think so many people will choose what's best for them. You know, it's a very selfish idea of voting, and I get that. I get. I understand where that comes from. I would love as Christians, even not what's best for Christians. I know that sounds weird to say it that way, right? But Christians don't need to vote for what's best for Christians for the Christians to be comfortable and for Christians to be in power. Christians need to vote from their the conscience of the kingdom that they're looking to cause to be a part of. I want I want Christians if they be willing to be uncomfortable, to willing to take the hard jobs, to, to fight for policy change, to go into difficult places. The idea of the gospel should make us look different. You know, the being kingdom people should make us look like kingdom citizens and not comfortable American citizens. Interesting
0: Preach. you say that because the Bible passage is one of the top five most misused Bible passages. I know the plans I have for you. He declares <laughs> the, yeah. the Lord, which yes. is about the false prophets say, don't pray for the prosperity of Babylon. And all the false prophets are saying this because we want to keep our Jewish power in our God. And, and Jeremiah says, no, Pray for the prosperity of the city, even though the city is run by a pagan governor, because if the city's blessed, you'll be blessed. And trust me, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. It's it's (laughs) about—that passage is so misconstrued. So many Americans use it the exact opposite way of how Jeremiah presents it. He's saying, even in something as crazy as trusting a pagan government, like, instead of the false prophets who say, let's let's keep our power isolated— God's saying, "No, if this whole city's blessed, watch how I work." So that's that's a fascinating. It's interesting you you brought that up. I, I like yeah. that. And yeah. I I, I, I want to challenge if any young people out there, and you're getting this master's degree, and there's that choice: do I go more the policy route, or, or do or do I just go in the safer job? If like talk to us, talk to any like we we want. And if you go to this harder route, and you know the path's going to be hard, and you're going to face. Opposition from the Christian side and from the world side, like we want to encourage you as your pastors, as your church, as the local body, so that you can do this and you can be part of of bringing Christ like justice to these spaces, of bringing, being a light and an ambassador of the gospel to these spaces.
1: And I want you to hear this: for those of you who have been blessed with prosperity in this world, and those of you who have been blessed with more comfortable and cushy, that is not to. Deter you, and that's not to say you're condemn you, but to challenge you. What is God calling you to do with this? It's not to build up your own security. It's not to build up your own comfort. You know, it's to it's to challenge you to, to how are you going to advance his kingdom? What's his spirit calling you to do? Not to this is not a condemnation message. This is an exciting, inspirational, like get a part of be a part of the difference making work that God is doing in this world.
0: Amen. All right. The next question is just a shift to how do we make this local? How do we make this personal and local? Like we're a local church. We're trying to do good. Waypoint's done some awesome stuff with refugee ministry. Uh, We've really fought for justice in some of these apartment complexes when the refugees came and we, we did our best. We can't do everything. We're not a huge congregation, about 180 members, you know, and about 4,000 children, uh, <laughs> that's not true, but we, we do have a high percentage of kids, and, and parents of young kids don't have a ton of time, but how do, how do we begin to think about, like, change at the local level when it comes to actual racism, and, and the issues of racism, and, and, and knowing our present, our current reality, yeah, there are bigger problems in America, but any, any, like, thoughts on just just right now, like, something you'd challenge a Christian who just wants to take the next step? Maybe it's inviting your neighbor over, like we talked about earlier. Maybe we've already covered most of this. But any any final thoughts on that?
2: So many thoughts. So you don't have just a final thought. You <laughs> know, have an initial, I know, I know. A, begin,
0: a middle, and a f- uh, final.
2: So, you know, like... I'm working on this thing of, you know, being positive and then, you know, do more sandwiches. And so I think like when I think about Waypoint or churches like Waypoint, one thing I think we do great is like um, be present in action, which is something a lot of church I feel like struggle with. So we, I, I know I see people here who are fostering. I see people who are showing up and doing refugee ministry, and I think that's wonderful. Um, when I think about things that are like maybe a little bit more imminent, um, and particularly with race, I, I really would love to see more churches holding these forums to have these difficult conversations. Um, I think it's so easy to like have things happen in the week and then on the weekend you know kind of just like feel uncomfortable like when we're in church or meeting at bible studies and just to kind of be like oh god is on the throne and not having these really really hard conversations or and and i and i mean truly hard like should we vote for this person should we not vote for this person what does wednesday mean um how is this affecting our community um and i and again i feel like having that conversation and that acknowledgement piece would really help with more action items beyond what we're doing now
0: yeah and we I love town hall I'm I'm a I love to hear every side COVID has kind of slowed it down because zoom town halls are not quite as fun but I do agree thank you for bringing that up and and we are committed at waypoint to begin to bring that back Uh, we had a few smaller things but once the restrictions start slowing down or even the weather gets nicer and we can do some stuff outside thank you I, I think we need that
2: I would love to give a shout out to the prayer meeting that happened on Tuesday. I did not go. I was not in a good mental space to do it, but I heard that, um, like just the topic seemed to just call out, um, issues dealing with like white supremacy and nationalism and other words that I was really impressed that were said, and I wish I could have gone. Um, but I think then even having that form and allowing people to voice these uncomfortable topics was pretty impressive. So I hope we do more real, real prayer meetings.
1: So I think, very practically speaking, I think every, everybody has blind spots, everybody has issues, everybody has places where they can walk in humility and learn and grow. And so I think we need to continue to learn and continue to grow and be humble people as a church to say, what, where, where are areas that we need to learn, we need to grow and be, let the Spirit really guide us in kind of building us up and growing us. Very practically, in our community, um, there are so many places to serve, to, 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 to love people well, to, to serve people well, to practically get involved in ministry, but also very practically for our church. I want our church to be more and more a safe place for everybody. You know, when we first started planting Waypoint Church, one of the things that just always was hammered home to me and hammered in my heart was, how do we, what can we do to make it as safe as possible for everybody? I remember a very distinct story. I had a friend of mine, his name is Pre, and uh, he was telling me that his, his mother is Indian, and he was telling me, he's like, I want to bring her to church. But at the time, the church I was going to, um, she wouldn't feel comfortable in. So I would love to bring her to church where she would feel comfortable. You know, so I remember thinking about early on, how do we, how do we become a people in a place where Pri's mom would be comfortable, where my mom would be comfortable, where I would be comfortable, where Eddie would be comfortable, where Matt, would, where all these people can be comfortable in this place, not because we're perfect, not because we do everything right, not because, um, you know, we we were not going to make mistakes, and not because our you know, worship style is the best or most conducive for everything, right? But just because we're a kingdom people that once had intentional intentionality to love each other well, to understand each other, to acknowledge differences, to welcome differences, to glory in the fact that we're all made in the image of God and that God made each race, each person, each individually beautiful and for a reason. Um, These are all things I think, I just want to be a church that does this well.
2: Hmm. You know, I've been reflecting a lot about um, how diverse the gospel is supposed to be. Um, I'm on this new Old Testament kick, and I love how you said that, but I also want to acknowledge how uncomfortable that will be. Um, as somebody who loves safe spaces, it makes people uncomfortable. And to be a church that is multicultural, um, multi-ethnic, it, it's going to be really hard. And just like we've seen it in the Bible, it was so hard to get those many people of many languages and many tongues in the same room. And so, I, you know, I, I think that there's a call to action to hear things that are uncomfortable for you, to hear words that are uncomfortable for you, Um but doesn't mean you're unsafe. <laughs>
1: right? And I think that's, I think acknowledging that it's hard. I think too many people think it should be easy.
2: Yes. And okay.
1: I agree with you. It, it's very, very hard.
2: It's really hard.
1: I, I know a lot of friends who are pastors who say it's not possible. Like, really. Yeah. I, and I do. I have a lot of pastor friends who are like, it's not really possible, you know? And I'm like, I, 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 read, the, I read the Bible and I see that it is possible, you know? And,
0: but it, it's hard because it's possible at the universities it's possible in the elementary schools, it's possible at Cisco, why can't it be possible here? Cisco figure out a way for all their employees from all these different races to get along together, and they have a thing in India that works together, and a Japanese unit, and a, and a unit in Austria, and they all have to figure out a way. So, so I think it's, I don't like, as someone who studies cultures and works with a lot of internationals, I think that's a cop out of what I think what they're saying is is that Americans and even even immigrants who come to America and like the whole system is based on comfort and seeking comfort and escaping any type of discomfort. So if that's your attitude, if church becomes the place where safety is like comfort versus learning that there's beauty and diversity and we can all, if once you get over the hump of like, okay, this person's a little different than me and comfort doesn't mean these things have to line up, but they mean that these things can, we're, we're working together for a common goal and we have a union in Christ, then I think we can really do this. But it, it is amazing that so many other spaces have figured out a way to bring lots of people together. So I, I don't I don't like that answer per se, but I understand why why it's easier to hang out with people who are like you. Yeah. And
1: I, can we as a church be willing to be uncomfortable? You know, because there there's going to be times where people disagree with you, times where you could offend somebody, times where, you know, and I think difficult topics should be brought up and discussed and forms need to happen. and But why is comfort our number one goal?
0: So if our, but eventually we go from having the goal of like the gospel where the people who work at Cisco, like their goal is to sell software or whatever, but ultimately, we become a family, and family's hard because you can't leave, you know, you're with them, you're stuck with them, whether you like them or not, you know, whether they offend you or you have this disagreement, you have to reunify. So how can we be a family? How can we, any any thoughts on that? Like, how, how do we be a family here at Waypoint and continue to love each other and build into each other and address the blind spots?
2: You, you know, I guess if I, to answer that quickly, I would say um, to put your identity first in Christ. And I know that's a simple answer, but it's so complex. You know, the, the thing that we're all coming here, the thing that is right, the thing that allows us to be wrong, to figure out what is wrong or right, is the fact of what the Bible says and who we know we are in Christ um, and it's funny like you know if I'm with Danny like and me the one thing that we have in common is that we both love Christ and when we're here at church our our number one identity is not our race or our our social background is the fact of who we are in Christ and I feel like very often it's hard for people to let go of their worldly identities when they come into the the house of Christ um So I would say that is the first thing to do. And just remember above all, you're a Christian first.
0: That's good. And I think when you get past that, I think one thing that you and I would have in common is we just love to think about the realities (laughs) of the world. You know what I'm saying? Like when I hear this stuff, I want to like ask you like 5,000 questions about what's going on in psychiatry right now. Like how are they thinking about all this stuff? Because it affects me. Like I think about mental health. So yeah, initially maybe we wouldn't have hung out, but now we're brothers and sisters in Christ and I I hear about your experiences and the gifts that God's given you yeah and I want to hang out with you be because you have unique gifts that contribute to God's kingdom and I want to learn from you and I want to like be around different types of people
2: yeah and I was even to follow up on that I, I was going to say if I this is more of a general thing too not just at waypoint but when you do do that identity thing you're also admitting it's okay to be wrong which I think is actually quite hard yeah. right now I can think of seven people who are probably annoyed with me for saying that including myself it's okay to be wrong like um it is Probably going to happen. Um, and that's what happens when you put your identity mm-hmm. first in Christ. Yeah. And, and I it's think it's okay to sacrifice because, you know, Danny, you and I mm-hmm. have so many different privileges. And for us to be one in Christ, you are giving up some things and I'm giving up some things. Um, some of them are more structural and some of them are more overt.
1: A- Amen. That's good. I also think empathy is a big part of it. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like, yeah. as a family member, like, my, I, I'll just use my sister as an example. If I understand, like for me to be in a good relationship with my sister, I need to understand her well and where she's coming from. My mother and my father, I understand where they're coming from. I feel what they feel. And honestly, if, if my sister came to me, I still remember as a kid, she came to me crying one day and said, This boy was picking on her. Oh, man, I, I took off down the street right after that boy. You know? yeah. like <laughs> I'm like, so for me, like, there's an empathy. There's like, my, my sister is hurting. You know, my brother is hurting. There's stuff going on. And I don't, I'm not going to argue facts about it. My, I don't care. If somebody hurt my sister, I don't want to, I don't care if, if, if my sister was like, uh, you know, if my, well, you know, your sister did this this time. I'm like, no, I don't give a crap. You hurt my sister. I want to go talk to this guy. You know? And so I'm like, that's not what's important. My sister is hurting. Let me talk to my sister. Let me empathize with her. Let me, let me empathize with my brother. You know? And so I think that's just a big part of it, just feeling hurts like like we are one as a family so when you hurt i hurt
0: amen so i'm going to end with this question and kind of this thought so we've we've mentioned blind spots and i feel like blind spots are the place in the church where racism gets hidden behind because people say oh it's not really this. It, they have a blind spot toward racism, and that what's turned into Christian nationalism, which has been at the forefront, and many Christians have moved in that direction. And and I and for anybody out there, I can post an amazing article by the head of our denominations. Uh, what is it called like. Media group Liberty or ethics Lib- Yeah, Ethics Commission, ethics Commission yeah. on how bad Christian nationalism is. And he's he's calling a spade a spade. It's it's bad. But it's a blind spot. But then in that blind spot, the easiest answer that I always hear, not just that blind spot, every church has blind spots, but and and maybe even some of the people fighting for racism have some other blind spots. And that goes back to your whataboutism. So so this guy's doing great fighting for against racism. He puts all these Bible passages on his Facebook page and quotes all these pastors about racism, but then he has a blind spot because he's a really maybe a arrogant person or something in it. So look, instead of paying attention to the actual issue, you just focus on the log in his, you know, in his eye, and then you forget about the log in your eye. So, so there's blind spots. But one of the things that I, it's, it's kind of bothering me lately. I just want you guys to deal with it. It's people like, why don't we just preach the gospel? And then racism will just work its way out. Like, let's just be a church. If we just preach the gospel, then everything will be fine. So I just respond to that. And just just want to hear gently, you know, you guys, I know you guys, yeah, just how would you respond to that?
2: <laughs> that statement honestly never makes sense to me because the gospel is so radical and so wild. Like if you ever just sit and reflect on the things that we say we believe that this man came, and he died for us, and we practice in things like communion. I'm like, what is... Neutralizing or simple or soft about preaching the gospel, and so I, to that response, I would say one: what What does the gospel mean to you? Because if it's not changed your life utterly, then maybe we should revisit it. <laughs> and two. Um, if you has changed your life radically, then how could you just say something so simple, like tell this person to change their entire life? And then maybe we're all on the same page because I'm like, yeah, you know what? Like you need Jesus is what I want to say to some of these racist people out here. And in some ways that's true as well. Um, but I yeah. And I guess overall in that arc as well as this thing that I think Christian culture or Christianity is really coming to a heads to is this this. Um, desire to neutralize things or to cover them up or to like misuse biblical grace. Um, Like there is room for justice and truth. And not only is there room, that is literally the crucifixion, like Jesus died because we sinned. Um, And yes, he rose for us again, but he had to die because we sinned. Um, And so I just would encourage anybody in in general to just really reflect on what it means to be graceful, what it means to, quote unquote, be kind and loving to people and, you know, reflect on that. Um, My last word is like my husband, Matthew, and I were talking about this and he said, said something so eloquently about Um, how the more we think about grace is inversely proportional to like how we feel about sin. So the more we revel and love in the grace and the forgiveness of Christ, the more adverse we become to sin. And I would love for um, Christian culture to really reflect that more.
1: Mm, That's good. My response to that is, what's the gospel? I think too many times people have limited the gospel to Jesus died in my place. And that's not all. So it I is. could
0: kind of live the comfortable American dream. Exactly. <laughs> oh, thank
1: you, Jesus. You gave me this exchange. You died at my place, so I could do whatever I want. I can be comfortable, and I have a secured ticket to heaven. Not blessed are the poor in spirit. Exactly. Not blessed that's, are the meek. I think people just are mistaken. I don't know why thirst. they think it's just this gospel is just cool. I made a cool exchange with Jesus. He gave me His life, and then I okay, good. I'm good. i will go to heaven. Gospel's so much bigger than that. The gospel is a rescuing story of a God who's establishing His kingdom, His rule and reign
0: over rebellious
1: uh, people. And the beautiful thing is, even the very beginning when God made man his image, his whole purpose was justice and mercy and his rule and reign being made by the images of him expanding out to the earth. And even in the Great Commission, when Jesus gives us the Great Commission, when he says go and make disciples, he's not saying go and make people who made an exchange with me. He's saying, go and make image bearers of me so that my rule and reign, my kingdom advances. And where his kingdom advances where his justice and mercy flows on the streets. And so our call of gospel people is the nations being blessed and justice being evident on the streets.
0: So nationalism isn't even compatible with the gospel i mean we can we can be proud of our country we can love our culture we can thank god for the food and the the stuff that are part of our culture but when you start thinking my the random country that i was born in in this space and time is the greatest thing ever you're going against the gospel because everything that god created is is equal all his people are equal like his kingdom is forever and his kingdom is is the nation's
1: and that's me oh, with that. Go go cheer at the Olympics with your heart out. That's fine. You know, go for it. And you acknowledge people who whatever they have done, that's the sacrificed and they served. Acknowledge them. Great. Thank you so much for that. But ultimately, you should know and experience that your kingdom, your identity, what you're a part of, you're a kingdom people. And the gospel is a kingdom message. It's the good news of it of a kingdom that came into this world that's advancing and will one day be inaugurated.
0: But it's a kingdom. But it's a kingdom of, of making disciples and disciples are people who change their hearts and work toward changing the hearts of others for the kingdom so right who fight for justice who fight for christ-like justice well wow.
2: amen i'm very thankful that this world and even this nation and country are temporary i think 2020 has been such a reminder for me as a nigerian that um, no country can save you like you could die so easily and i think we say that but 2020 was such a great reminder. So I'm thankful for this internal life.
1: Yeah. And ultimately for me, 2020 was such a great reminder that, you know, we're so desperately in need of putting our hope in God, not in the ways of the world, not in modern science, not in a vaccine, not in anything else, but it's just in God.
0: And then in that, God will give us a vaccine and he will get us through COVID and he will, he will, these racial issues, he will use his church to overcome. We, we have hope in his... Just because we failed as the body and leadership has failed in the church, like Hezekiah, like we talked about last week, David failed, doesn't mean that Christ's kingdom and his word and his plan will fail. So any final encouragements you guys have before we, we head off?
1: It is impossible to do apart from the Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit in us and through us in this church that allows us to be gospel kingdom people. And so we ask the spirit to move in the life of our church so that we can look like kingdom people, act like kingdom people, and live like kingdom people.
2: Oh, I love that. Um, I love telling people I'm proud of them. So I'm proud of you if you haven't heard it today and you're listening to this podcast. And, you know, just to end on a positive note, like— I'm sure Pastor Lawrence and Pastor Eric, shout out to them because I they have to deal with me and they have to talk to me because they're the pastors. Um, but you know, I talked about my frustrations, not only at Wade Point, but it's a church as a whole, but I do see so much light in Wade Point. Like I think about Rebecca, um, Sarah, Bethany, Emi, all these people who don't have to, um, Erica, who don't have to talk to me, who love me and encourage me well as white women, um, which means a lot to me. So I'm just very thankful for Wade Point.
0: Well, we are thankful for you, Annie, and we're praying for you as you trust God with this, this awesome career and this next step for medical school. Congratulations on getting this far. And I'm going to end with this passage. So this is from Matthew 12. This is kind of the fulcrum, the, the crossing point, the middle of Matthew's gospel, or that word gospel. And Matthew quotes Isaiah, and he's, he's saying that this is of Jesus. And he says, Here is my servant, who I have chosen. The one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out, nor one will hear his voice. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not stuff out, snuff out, until he has brought justice through to victory. That's the gospel. God will bring justice through to victory. And in his name, the nations will put their hope. Matthew wants us to see this is the crux. This is the central point. After this, it gets Jesus to the cross and the resurrection. Matthew wants us to see that the gospel was there 600 years ago from the prophet Isaiah telling the people that even if you go into exile, Even if you see injustices around you, keep returning to God, rest in Him. His justice will happen, and we get to be a part of that as His kingdom. So thanks, y'all, for joining us for this podcast. Thanks for listening. You guys have a great week, and let's continue this conversation as we learn to trust God with each day as His people. Have a great week.